A little positivity. Warm greetings, Joymongers. Welcome to episode three of Joyfully You Life with Dr. Petrina Clark. I am overjoyed to have Laferne Beatty with me this afternoon. Laferne is a seasoned Fortune 500 leader and dynamic global speaker. She is the founder and CEO of the Beatty Group, a boutique consulting firm and accelerator that cultivates business and leadership brilliance. A few of her clients include Boeing, Price Waterhouse, Raymond James, and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Laferne and I met in 1998 at the first annual national conference of the National Association of African Americans and Human Resources. I didn't realize until I was doing research for today's episode that the organization was actually formally established in 1998. I'm a lifetime member and proud supporter of NAAAHR. The organization provides a unique global forum for career development and advancement of Black and African-American human resources professionals. Laferne and I served as co-panelists during that conference. And while I can't remember what we were exactly talking about, I do remember the instant and immediate connection I felt. Laferne, welcome to the podcast. Katrina, thank you so much. I am sincerely honored and humbled to be able to be here with you. Wonderful. So we often make snap judgments about people, deciding pretty quickly whether or not we like someone. I certainly did that when meeting you. Operating on the positive end of that spectrum for why we do this, we can feel at a deep level when we have a connection with someone. What is one of the first things people say they love about you before they actually get to know you? It's interesting because people often comment on my ability to connect with them pretty quickly. So I seem really extroverted to them. If I find someone and we're in a space where they are standing alone, I'm the one who goes over, introduces myself, and tries to bring that person into the fold. So they typically think I'm pretty extroverted and outgoing. Interesting. Well, as I've said, it was definitely love at first sight for me. And after more than 20 years of friendship, it appears my instincts were spot on. You are, without question, one of the most charming and engaging people I know. And while I know you not to be truly that extroverted, appearances can be deceiving, I know that your energy is absolutely infectious. It can be tempting to mistake kindness for weakness. If you had a warning label, what would yours say? Uh, I'll give the G-rated version of it, <laughs> but it would come with sound effects like bump, bump, back up. <laughs> that, that would be the acceptable warning label if anyone got too tempted. All right. So what would you say the, is the biggest misperception people have about you when they first meet you? I think that sometimes people also think I'm pretty serious and they don't see how much fun I love to have. And so they approach me most of the time pretty formally, but I love to have a good time. I love a great laugh and I really like it when people feel comfortable enough that they can let down their guards and really just have an engaging, honest, one-to-one, equally yoked type of conversation. Yeah, I think we have that in common. And that's probably one of the things that bonded us. People think that we're so formal. I was having a conversation with a, with an associate, someone who wanted to do some work with me on a project. 
we finished the conversation, she said, oh my God, you're nothing like I expected. I said, oh my goodness, well, what did you expect? She said, oh, I thought, I thought you were going to be all buttoned up and dry. And, you know, when I look at your bio, it's like, that woman has done so much. How could she possibly have a sense of humor or even a personality? And I thought that was really funny because, you know, I love to laugh, have a good time and cut up. So (laughs) we share that misperception. So I did, because of that, I did try to be pretty transparent in my first episode of the podcast, but there's so many layers to us as human beings. So as someone who knows me pretty well and has known me for a while, what do you think people who haven't gotten to know me on a personal level would be surprised to know about me? I don't think that your brilliance would surprise them, but I believe the lens through which you view life not just from a professional perspective, but really deeply rooted in spirit would be really surprising to a lot of folks who would encounter you. So being able to engage with you, Petrina, on a deep, personal, spiritual, deep, way out there kind of conversational level, I don't know that folks would necessarily be extremely comfortable with that because it is deep. But I do believe that seeing beyond professional accomplishments to this person who's so committed to helping others get to the root, to the core, to the heart of who they are and live from that place, that's what I think they would find most surprising. Oh, thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) So Tiffany Boone, who's one of the stars in the Amazon Prime series, Hunters, She shared this in an interview that one of the lines from the show that she thought was really cool and that affected her the moment she read it was this interaction that she had with her television daughter. So on the show, the daughter asked, Mom, are you a superhero? And she responds, Honey, I'm a Black woman in America. Superheroes ain't got nothing on me. What's your reaction to that statement? (laughs) I had to reach up and readjust my crown. Because I believe as a Black woman in this world, we are queens. And that's the way I try to walk through life. I love that superhero concept. And to make it even more relatable to someone, I know people can relate to or at least conceive royalty being something they can touch. That's the way I try to live my life. So as I readjust my crown once again, That's how I feel about the way that we were built, designed, and created to grace this world. Yeah, definitely. What would your family say are some of your superpowers? My family knows me to be the master communicator. If something needs to be said, if we are addressing a serious issue in the family, I'm one of my go-tos for my mother. I'm the youngest of six, but I'm the one that she will typically have conversations with. And then I'll go have conversations with my siblings, even though they might not know that I've had conversations with mom. So I'm the, I'm the communicator. I try to be the connector outside of being the one who can also disrupt anything that violates love of mom and love of family because I can go to the other end of the spectrum and they know that. I try to be, these days, the glue that holds everyone together without abandoning who I am. And so I'm 
I'm mindful of how I fill that space right now. I'm the communicator. I'm the one who's going to have fun. I'll talk about topics and issues that many family members might avoid. And we will laugh about that until we cry. But when it's serious, I'm also the person who will bring us together for conversations and connections. That's wonderful. And so what about with your friends? Do they say the same superpower? They would say whatever that superhero holds, that superwoman holds, it will cut through you know, a, a hot knife and butter. That's I'm, I laser through tension. I, I guess I don't try to sway the way anyone else lives, but I ask questions and I challenge assumptions and I try to stretch those who are around me in ways that I stretch myself, really not intentionally because at this stage, I'm really focused on what I can do for myself to be a model for them. But they also see that candid, frank, loving. We're not sure how she's going to deliver it. But again, I think they would see that communicator as well. And I I try to communicate in a way that shows my love, but also shows my commitment to being my best to them as friends and helping them be the same way with everybody else they touch. I love that. And I know about your passion for communication. And we are both advocates of self-care being much more than just about massages and bubble baths. Those are great, but true self-care really has to be a more holistic endeavor. And so in one of your blog posts, you shared how important communicating effectively is to you and that speaking your truth is an act of self-care. So what is one of the most important personal truths you've spoken and what was the impact of your doing so? That's a powerful question. One of the most powerful personal truths I've spoken to myself is I am worthy. And I know that some people might see that as a general comment or hear it that way or make an assumption that I've always felt that. When I spoke that to myself, for myself, consistently, it opened up a space in my spirit that honestly, I believe I had compartmentalized. I've always lived pretty fully and people see my life and say, oh, Laferne, you've been so successful. But opening up that I am worthy And when I say I'm worthy, I mean I am worthy of the absolute best that life has to offer. It changed what I allowed into my space. It changed who I allowed into my space. And it's uncomfortable. It has been uncomfortable for me to release with love some of the relationships that I was connected to. And at the same time, it has been freeing. I believe that when I leave this earth in this form, I want to do so without any regrets, without any wish I had done desires, or if I only had one more day, I want to leave this space on empty. And part of that was telling myself the truth about people that were lifting me up, but also about people that I was allowing to saddle me with energy that no longer aligned with what was best for me. 
That was uncomfortable, but it's been necessary. And I'm glad that I choose that every single day, no matter how uncomfortable it is. Yeah, wow, that's really powerful. Was there a an aha moment or would you say it was more of a evolving revelation? Was there something like that, you know, it was like, okay, this is the moment I have to start declaring my worth or would you say it was more of a buildup over time? You know, it's interesting when I really think back, the first time I found myself in a position where I said, you know what, maybe this doesn't fit. Maybe this doesn't align with me. Early on, early experience, I intuitively knew it was out of alignment with me, with who I am. And then I questioned that. And I thought, you know, Laferne, maybe this is just the way you navigate life. This is expected. This is a normal feeling. And over time, throughout the years, I started peeling off those layers, getting closer to who I am. That was the evolutionary process. But I do believe that the first time experiences presented themselves to me that made me question, is this where I should be? Is this healthy for me? I doubted it. And I I try at this point in life to never mistrust my gut because I knew then it just took, it felt like a layering on that then had to be peeled off for me to get back to what I know for me. Oh, I love that. I love that. One of the things I'll be talking about in a future episode is how we acquire our beliefs and how those beliefs become layers upon layers upon layers of identity that we wrap ourselves in and then present ourselves to the world. And so this journey of getting back to the essence of divine self, of true self, is this process of peeling back those layers and getting back to the truth about who we really are. One of the things that I know a lot of women struggle with is this idea that we have to be all things to all people. And so we can sometimes feel uncomfortable or even unwilling to ask for what we need, ask for what we want. What advice do you have for a woman who is struggling with finding her voice and articulating her needs, her desires, her wants? I would suggest asking for one something, maybe even in a small way. We tend to sometimes be hesitant when it comes to asking for a big change or if we have a big request from someone or a request of someone. And one way to just test it is little by little. For example, there are times people offer to do something for us. Hey, Laferne, uh, let me give you or let me help you. And I know from my own experience, I would hesitate. I didn't want to make anybody feel as if I were putting them in a position to do something for me that I could readily do for myself. But I realized it wasn't about what I could do. It was about what someone else was willing to do if I allowed that person to. So little by little, I would say, yes. Oh, okay. Thank you. I would step aside this part of my being that resisted help from other people because honestly, I believe I was conditioned 
for so many years to believe that was a sign of weakness. And all it did, once I embraced it over and over again in little ways, was help me see how much stronger, how how much more fortified I was by allowing other people to be in that circle around me to support me because it's necessary. It's a, a necessary part of my growth. It wasn't a dependency. It was an interdependency, an interrelatedness, an interwoven connectedness. So it wasn't uh, something that was a burden on the person who was asking if they could do something for me. So in those situations, if it's something small, I more readily ask for help. I'll ask for support. Hey, I need, uh, whether it's in the professional realm or whether it's in the personal space, I will ask for what I need and then not get attached to the outcome. Some people are there and they're willing to help. And some people are, are not in the space where they're willing to help. I just have to tell myself, if they say no, that's not about me. That's their personal choice. They have a right to that. I don't take it personally, one little ask at a time. But what I have found is people are much more readily willing to help me if I give them an opportunity or if I allow them to when they ask. So try something small. Ask someone to do something to support you in a certain way. Ask for their feedback. Just give them an opportunity and be mindful. That might not be a large circle. It may be a a small group of people. And that's perfect. If that's what it is, it's perfect for what you need based on who's willing to support you one little thing at a time. I love that. Like I think as you were talking, I was like baby steps, baby steps. I love that idea because sometimes we think we've got to go out there and like run a marathon immediately. And really all we have to do is just take a baby step. I loved what you said about this idea of, you know, our feeling like to ask for help is a sign of weakness or that something's wrong with us, like we should be able to do everything. I remember I went to a Debbie Ford retreat. She she used to do these shadow process retreats, and I, I went to one of the very last ones before she passed away. You know, there was this exercise where, you know, we were being reflective and coming to some deeper truths about, you know, sadness or, you know, something that had had been troubling us. And, you know, the tears were flowing and she made an announcement. She said, all right, we'll have people passing through the aisles. If you'd like a tissue, I need you to raise your hand. And and she paused and, and because for a while, nobody raised their hand. And she said, it's not uncommon for women, because it was a mostly female audience, to not raise their hand. We're so accustomed to not asking for what we want or asking and not expecting to have a need met that we don't bother asking at all. So I really loved what you had to say about, you know, just take a baby step. And if you're, you're met with a no, it's not about you. It's okay. And start with a small circle, you know, have a few trusted people to say that, you know, you can express a need to and allow yourself to be surprised and overjoyed at how willing they're going to be to give you that yes, to support you. We don't have to do it all. You know, the birds, I love this birds in the sky. We're going to get to the eagles in a little bit, but I love how, you know, they fly in formation and they take turns taking the lead. And so they... It's just a beautiful example of how when we have that 
close circle, that network with which we know we can soar, that we are beautifully supported. And I, I love what you had to say about finding that small circle, finding your flock. We say tribe, but maybe finding your flock and soaring and allowing others to sometimes take the lead and provide a little bit of wind beneath your wings. Absolutely. Even when I think about someone giving us a compliment, mm-hmm. how challenging it is for many of us to simply receive it and say thank you before Absolutely. we go to defending. Oh, not this little old thing I have on. I or know. And I remember, I can't even tell you when it was, but I remember someone paying me a compliment. And I was like, oh girl. And she said, just say thank you, Laferne. Just say thank you. And that stopped me in my tracks because it made me realize, what am I saying to the person who's gifting me with a compliment that I push to the side as if it's nothing because I'm uncomfortable receiving positive feedback or supportive feedback? Yeah, you know, I love that you made that point there. There is this idea, and I get the roots of it, but there is this idea that we have to give tough love to one another. And I don't like that because love should not be tough. Love should feel warm and cozy and inviting and uplifting. Tough love is not love. It's just tough. (laughs) You know, you're putting that love thing on the end to try to soften whatever it is you're, you know, you're doing for me in the name of my growth and evolution. I don't necessarily think that you know, people who are administering tough love see it as as a negative. I think it comes from a positive intention, but I think we do disservice to love, this concept of love, when we combine it with tough. And I think that goes to this idea of, you know, we have to be humble and we have to not think more highly of ourselves than we should. And, you know, all these messages that we get that just make us so uncomfortable with putting on our crown, straightening our crown. And I think even more impactfully, straightening the crown of another woman without making a big deal about it, you know, just letting it be about her. So I love that you made that point. You know, it reminds me of if I see a woman who has tissue on her shoes or if she has part of her outfit caught in her undergarments, not to go make a big announcement, but to slide up to her gently and put my arm, my hands on her shoulders, say, sis, grab your skirt. I do the same thing. Or I say right beside her softly in the ear, I'm going to tuck your tag in. Instead of like kiki, you know, too much kiki-keying. I love the place we're evolving to, though, and I can feel and I talk to people in the space and there's definitely a, a palpable feeling of evolution and growth that's happening universally. And it feels good and people are recognizing that there are ideas about who we are and then there's who we really are. And one of the greatest joys of life is returning to that knowledge of who we really are. And then, as you said, operating more often in that space than a role or a character that we've been accustomed to playing in our past. So I love that. 
So it's true. There aren't any really do-overs in life because if we change one thing about the past, then that changes every event after that, you know, moving into the present. So that having been said, it can be helpful as a self-reflection exercise to think about the things that we might have approached differently and how things might have turned out differently if we had handled ourselves in a different way or shown up in a different way. So if you could go back in time and change one thing, what would it be and why? Hmm. That's challenging because I do live without regret. If I could change one thing, I think back to being a young adult woman, being mindful of who is in my circle and sometimes even being a little overprotective. I would have had more time just simply meeting people, connecting, not feeling like I had to have people in my space and simply enjoying company as it presented itself. So as I connected with someone, not wondering, you know, what's the motive, what's the interest, but really just coming into a space, getting to know people for who they were, and having no real expectations around that, it would have decreased the amount of disappointment that I had when people didn't do what I thought they should do and my limited expectations of them. But it also would have freed me to have an open heart that wasn't so easily bruised by other people's behaviors and actions. So I would have just been open to not having that attachment to any expectations around what someone I was meeting or someone I was dating, what that represented on a deeper level. Sometimes it just is. Sometimes it's just not that deep. (laughs) I was serious, young, and I, I would have lightened up a bit and just enjoyed people crossing my path, other spirits intersecting with mine and having no expectations around what that meant, letting it unfold versus trying to formulate a plan for what was going to happen right. down the road. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I mean, we were, we were taught, we were conditioned that we had to do that. You know, we had to have plans. We had to have goals. We had to have detailed, comprehensive plans with milestones. And so it, it would be hard to just make those shifts like, oh, I'm going to turn that off and turn this back on. And so we kind of tended to operate that way as, as youngsters. It's, and I think too, it's part of probably our, our life journey, you know, this idea of maturing and recognizing and appreciating that, you know, what we thought was so important, maybe not so much after all. And so ideally with age comes wisdom and with wisdom comes freedom and with freedom comes joy. That's what I like to say. And so if we're evolving, then we're moving into consistently more joyful spaces and experiences. And for me, that's the goal. I love it. And I love seeing people who live in that space naturally. And sometimes it appears that they don't fit because they do live in that freedom at such a young age. They're not attached, at least seemingly, to other people's expectations. They're just kind of living in the moment. Too often we label that in a negative way. And I look at that now and I think, wow, 
how beautiful it is going to be if that person stays in that place of joy and freedom and young, youthful wisdom, how beautiful that will be when they don't have to now deconstruct the walls that were erected around them and rebuild from there. I know, right? I I love that you mentioned that. And I watch my 14-year-old niece and I marvel because she is absolutely one of those mature souls. You know, my sister had her, you know, not late nowadays, but, you know, when my sister had her, 40 was, oh, she's having a baby at 40. But my niece has such a mature perspective. She's so thoughtful. She's insightful. You know, she contemplates. She can be really serious and hard on herself. I think, though, that that comes from a place of wanting to challenge herself to be her best when she feels like it matters most. But she absolutely has this wisdom about she doesn't have to do that all the time, you know? And so I watch her and I marvel. And if we allow, and I, I, my sister is just a phenomenal mom because she gives my niece the space to, to be this way, right? She doesn't, she's not oppressive at all in her mothering in terms of you need to be doing this and you need to be doing that. You know, obviously reinforcing responsibility, but this idea of evolving into who she's going to be as an adult and how she wants to show up for her life, she's got that kind of freedom. And I'm just like so excited for her because exactly what you said, you know, the older she gets, she'll just keep changing the script and won't feel any kind of way about it other than, hey, (laughs) get with the program. That's right. (laughs) This is today's programming. Get with it. I can't wait to see her as a 30-year-old woman. I just, I can't even wait. I hope the world's ready. I can only imagine. Yeah, that's powerful. (laughs) All right, so let's talk a little bit about what you do professionally. I absolutely love the work that your firm does supporting leaders and organizations with maximizing their potential. Your work with my team in our early days were so impactful in helping us actually articulate our why And it continues to be a foundational element of of everything that we do in terms of our consulting portfolio. So you often use the phrase unapologetic leader. What does it mean to be an unapologetic leader? It means to recognize the position that you are in as an influencer, as a developer, as a supporter, as someone who has through performance or through intention, or through the way other people see you, set yourself apart. And for that, we do not have to apologize. We recognize that we are going to be different in how we approach the work that we do, the way that we lead our lives, and that other people will often follow and model that. We don't have to apologize for that. I believe it's important to not feel as if we have to blend while we also can masterfully bring individuals together in organizations to make a beautiful melody of music. But we can stand in the place of conductor without having to be seated with the musicians to make sure it all comes together. And that I certainly don't think we need to apologize for. (laughs) I love that. I also know that you don't think there's much that we have to apologize for, period. But I love the idea (laughs) 
of leaders. You know, it's all about learning and growth. You know, when we learn better, we do better. And so I love that. So talk to me about why you refer to the members of your community as eagles. Yeah. An eagle is such a beautiful, majestic bird. I love that the eagle doesn't have to be in the flock. That the eagle you can spot from a distance because it has a distinct appearance. Any species of eagles is unique and different, and you can see it in the way the eagle carries itself, the way it flies, the way it soars. The fact that an eagle is not clamoring to be part of, you'll never find it on the ground with the buzzards. You'll never find it in the flock. When you see the eagle, you will turn your head in amazement. You'll look at that eagle for just a moment. Oh, I saw an eagle today. So you remember it. I love that aspect of it. But something I appreciate about the eagle, eagle is a nurturer as well. But as the eagle is nurturing the babies to leave the nest, the eagle doesn't put the baby on the back and fly off and get it food. The eagle will dangle food on the outside of the nest when that baby is ready and hold it there until that baby gets the strength to use his or her own wings and is able to leave and then become what the eagle is uniquely. That's what I love about eagles, the ability to soar, to be majestic, to be different. and to be captivating, just a brilliant, unique species. And it has always captured my attention. So that's what I think of the people that I am so graciously able to serve, that they're unique, they're brilliant. They operate in that space of knowing here's where I belong, even if I don't know exactly how to make that happen, exactly how to show up. I'm willing to get that nurturing to help me then be able to go off and soar and help someone else do the same. That is so powerful. I love that. And I love hearing you talk about eagles and I can always hear the passion and the enthusiasm and the intention around your calling someone an eagle. And I think the power of your intention is such a wonderful way to elevate people because you actually can get a visual and it, it actually means something. And I, you know, if you see an eagle, you're going to pause for more than a second and you are going to have a conversation about it. (laughs) It's not like a buzzard or a crow, you know, it's, it's, it's an impactful moment. I love that, Lafern. So you probably anticipated that there would be at least one question about joy today. Yes. What does it mean to you to be joyful? Mm, gosh, joyful feels a certain way to me. It feels energizing. It feels content. And it also feels anticipatory. It makes me feel expectant of the very best because I know the very best already resides in me. And so I think about joy and my being. It's it's like a, a flower that's blossoming. I'm the soil. And everything that's rooted in joy will be passed through it, will pass through this filter 
of this soil that is me. However I view it, if I view it from a place of joy, if I view it from a place of enrichment, that's exactly what it will be. It's something that I possess, but it also possesses me if that's what I choose. It's the essence of being able to live a life that is rich, that is bright, that helps shine a light. That's, that's how it feels to me. That's how it looks to me. I can't imagine life without joy. I can't at this stage imagine having lived a life not having as much joy as I have today or at least not embracing it because it was always there. I love that. I love that. I love the aspect of your description that makes joy both seen and unseen, both present and on the way. What would you say to folks who are maybe not feeling so joyful about their lives right now? Mm. You know, sometimes to get to a place of joy, we have to start with a, from a place of gratitude. Think about what's good. Think about every aspect of our being that we can appreciate. I, you know, sometimes I start with my body, just uh, acknowledging what's working, that I'm breathing on my own, that I can see, that I can hear the birds chirping, that I can see the, the sky, whether it's clear and sunny or whether it's cloudy. Start from a place of gratitude. What is good? What is well? And do that consistently. What we feed grows, what we nurture blossoms. Start looking intentionally for seeds of joy that might begin in gratitude. And we will more consistently be appreciative of and expectant of the beauty that is our lives. I absolutely love that. That was goosebumpy. You know, I always enjoy having conversations with you so much. And I deeply, deeply appreciate your being so generous with your insights, your time, your energy, your perspective. Is there anything you want to leave our listeners with this afternoon as we wrap up our time together? You know, we've covered a lot and I'm so grateful, Patrina, for the opportunity. Um, start, especially in this space we're living in, in this life. Just take a moment. And if you can't think of anything, if you're able to take a deep breath, hold it and release it, know that you're living. And as long as you are living, you have the opportunity to tap more deeply into the places that are most meaningful for you. So do that. It's an honor being here with you. You you know, you make my light shine brighter. I think my light's bright. And then here you come along with all your brightness. And I just feel as if I'm in a, a bright space because I know I am with someone like you who's brilliant and loving and joyful. And for that, I am eternally grateful. So thank you so much. Thank you. I love you. And I am grateful for you. I love you. That, Joymongers, brings us to the end of our time. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with the phenomenal and incredible Lafern Kit Beatty. I've included a link to Lafern's website, The Beatty Group, so you can learn more about how she and her team inspire. 
And I've also included a link for NAAAHR, the organization I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that sponsored the conference where Laferne and I met. So until next week, continue to be joyfully you. Full of joy, fully you. Oh,